0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's edition of JM Rewind. JM Rewind gives us an opportunity to check out some of the interviews we've recently had on JM and the AM. Jonas and Rosenblum has the brand-new book from Art Scroll, A Tap on the Shoulder, about the life of Rabbi Mayor Schuster. Here's my conversation with Jonas and Rosenblum on JM Rewind on the Nachum Siegel Network. Well, our friends at Art Scroll have done it again. I... Um I mean, I just got the book yesterday, and I got home at about 10.30 last night, so I started reading it pretty late, finished it this morning, and it's amazing. Uh, it's called A Tap on the Shoulder, Rabbi Mayer Schuster and a Magical Era of Chuva. Jonas and Rosenblum, many of you may, uh, may follow the columnist, very well-known author and columnist Jonathan Rosenblum. Uh, so Jonathan Jonas and Rosenblum is the author, and uh, Jonas and Rosenblum is with us live via telephone to discuss... The brand new book. It's called A Tap on the Shoulder. And remember, you're lucky if you're a Siegel listener. Because when you go to com and you order this book or anything, if you use promo code radio, you get a major discount and free shipping. Always use promo code radio when you go to artscroll.com. And in this case, you're looking for Jonas and Rosenblum's brand new book, A Tap on the Shoulder at Artscroll.com. Jonas and Rosenblum, an honor, a pleasure to welcome you to JM and the AM.
1: It's a pleasure to be
0: with you, Nachum. I mean, so many people have heard of Rabbi Meir Schuster. Uh, They heard stories about Rabbi Meir Schuster. It's amazing to see you put the entire history and so many of the stories in one book. It must have been, and especially for you, seriously, because you have an interesting background yourself, it must have been for you a fascinating exploration to read about this man's journey and then to learn about this man's mission?
1: Well, <clears throat> in terms of how fascinating the journey was for me personally, the fascination wasn't in uncovering Reb Mayer's story. I had been writing or talking in speeches about Reb for for many, many years, and I knew him personally. I mean, when my, <clears throat> when my wife and I came to Yerusha Live in 1979, And we started at Orsamech, and she started at the Orsamech Women's School then. It wasn't long before he started sending us Shabbos guests, so we knew him from the get go. (laughs) And I had actually met him three years earlier, two or three years earlier, as a Upan student learning Hebrew after finishing law school and taking a year off before starting to practice. So I knew him uh, pretty well, and I knew. I was always fascinated by him because it was clear that he was the least suited person for the task that he had <laughs> set himself of anybody who ever lived
0: well, what's also interesting timing wise is that the era you're describing is like right at the heart of the height of what he was doing like you you, you got to know him at the time that he was you know in, in accelerated fashion there at the coat though
1: that's right, that's right from uh the the late seventies and through the eighties. But definitely the high points. And uh, the excitement of the book for me in many respects was that it's a telling of the story of my generation. Uh, Reb Mayer did not bring my wife and I into Orsa Maia. But everybody, there's almost no one from our good friends who we talked to who did not have an encounter with him for whom he was that important. I was sitting next to somebody last night, rosh Gabor and the near yeshiva for many years already, and uh, and he wouldn't be here except that every time he tried to leave, Rav Mayer was always there. He took him to meet Rav Noach yeah. Weinberg, and when he came out, Rav was there. Uh, Rav was there, and then he took him to his Shabbos home. There's nobody. He, he, the stories just go on and on. And these are yeah. these are mostly friends of mine. So yeah. it's, uh, look, it makes the, it particularly exciting. look
0: the list of the people. The list of the people that, that were affected by him, just the ones that are known and the ones that discuss it openly is unbelievably impressive. I mean, anybody who follows, you know, the Jewish community uh, from any vantage point, you know, he hears the names of the people who are now involved in, in real tradition, in our real heritage. Uh, all because of him is, is just extremely impressive. Jonas and Rosenblum is with us. The book is called A Tap on the Shoulder. I cannot recommend this book enough. Go to artscroll.com. dot com. Now you mentioned your generation and obviously when I was growing up, I mean you can imagine it being in a rabbinic family. Uh, you can imagine how much credit the six day war got for this transformation of people in your generation, you know, discovering their heritage and tradition and taking it a lot more seriously. Number one, would you agree that that's the primary factor? And number two, what were the other factors? What were the other life situations that the typical teen or older teen, the ones just finished, just starting or finishing college, were going through that, that brought them to this reality when they got to Jerusalem?
1: I don't think for Israelis the 1967 war was a, had a major impact, and I think it also did for many Americans as well. But you have to remember that none of the Baal Shubhi Yeshivas, the first one that opened, probably Deval Yerushalayim in 1971, so they didn't—they weren't an immediate outgrowth nice. of the 67 war. Nice. Uh, it, it's funny to say, but the counterculture of the late 60s for all its pernicious aspects, but that counterculture in some ways made the baot movement possible.
0: Explain that. Do you, fact, I, I, I know what you mean, but you've got to explain that. Go ahead. No,
1: I mean, there were people... The, 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 as Rob Mayer used to say, you could scrape people off the wall. There were backpackers. There were thousands and thousands and thousands of kids finishing college, finishing the Peace Corps, finishing... Had some break in their lives, and they simply took off around the world. The TWA doesn't exist anymore, but right. TWA in those days had a round-the-world ticket, right. which was quite cheap, and people were going around the world. Now, like a friend of mine, who's uh, you know he's been a major major successful invest investor, but he's also been the chairman of a major keyword organization on American campuses. For uh, for a, a decade or more, right?
0: We know who you mean, right? As
1: he says, as he said, and he's it's, he's not embarrassed about this. Mm-hmm. He's one of the people who doesn't didn't give me a hard time about using his name, Tom Steinberg. Right. So Tom Steinberg said, "By the time you've had five near death experiences on a boat in Thailand, <laughs> you know that that the, that the boat the the head of the boat." Took out a machete and told you to take off your your money belt or your or the the money around your neck right. that you've been in a refugee camp that was run over by the Pathet Lao uh, <laughs> two days later and everybody was killed that you you know if you watched uh, farmers in Myanmar then Burma sacrificing to pigs to the harvest guards and and you spent five dollars which was a fortune for you at that time because you were traveling on a shoestring. To learn a mantra in Bangkok <laughs> so when somebody says would you like to learn something about your religion you've got no defense <laughs> and you, come, and you eventually get the original you have no defense well how could you say you're not going to learn you learn about this mantra you, you watch the har- these idol worshiping uh, sacrifices
0: You've done everything right. else. If, How can you right. say no to this? I guess if you're, you're right. if you're intrigued by the most obscure of religious practices, then often I don't want to say always, but then often one must assume you're going to be intrigued by your own heritage. I guess I guess there's something to be said for that. Now you got to I mean, We got to talk about the man for a moment because I mean you emphasize and and it's so amazing to read about it. How everything he did and and what we know of you know the the, the you know the, the the folk tales are and and most of them are you know not real folk tales they are real um you know that he's you know approaching people at the Kotel and schlepping them off the wall and encouraging them to come to yeshiva or to a Shabbos dinner et cetera et cetera, but you describe in the book how this is completely against his personality, how this doesn't fit in with the type of person or I may or schuster himself a a balchuva. Uh, the type of person he was. What was he, and how did he overcome that to become this king of Kiruv?
1: Well, he was painfully shy. He was an inarticulate uh, kid, very serious, always very serious. Painfully shy. Found it hard to. Uh, he found it hard to talk to people. It was. Uh, I mean, in my own case, when he would call us up on Thursday night to ask us whether we could take a Shabbos guest the conversation would always begin with silence on the other end of the phone. And uh, yeah. and then you'd say, is that you, Rabbi Schuster? Because you learned that, as, as I think David Orlovsky once said, he's the only person in the world who introduced himself by not speaking. But, <laughs> so you knew um, it was
0: him on the other end. <laughs> yeah.
1: So you, you knew the silence on the other end. And yet this man approached 20 to 30 people a day for 25 years, or more than 25 years. And yeah. that's an astounding thing. You asked, how did he overcome his shyness? Right. How did he overcome the fact that he wasn't extremely articulate? How did he overcome these things? And the answer is, he didn't. He didn't. But that was his, in many respects, that was his, his uh, stock in trade. I mean, one woman describes in the book, and I think I described her in Mishpacha magazine last week, she said, I saw him when he tried to talk to me. I felt so sorry for how could a person who had such a hard time speaking approach a complete stranger like me? Right. And that made her think something different as well. It made her think he cares about me more than anybody has ever cared about me because if he's forcing himself, against his nature to do this, then he must care about me in, in a way that nobody else has. And that's what they said. The, 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 my friend uh, of Eliezer List, who the, did the intakes in Nevaeh Yerushalayim in those days, says every single girl who came in said, I would never, never get in a car with a strange man. But with him, they knew that he, there was nothing that they had to be afraid of him, because when he say, okay, we're going to such and such place. Then he'd walk 15 feet ahead. Yom Tov Glazer, the famous surfer rabbi, says every time I would see him in the city, I'd say, stop, slow down, talk to them. I think to myself, how's he doing this? But everybody who thought they could do a better job, no one, no one ever did a better job. No one was ever more effective. Because his wife, I think, put it the best. His wife said he saw through them, and they saw through him.
0: Amazing. He
1: didn't see the rings. He didn't see the hair. He didn't see the torn jeans. None of that. He didn't see anything besides the shaman. I mean, one woman who worked for him told me that uh, at the time, he said he would fix her up on dates. Uh, he'd make shiddo him for her. But she said, at that time, I struggled with my weight. And... Um, And and he he sent me up with fine boys, but nobody was terribly interested. And when I say I think maybe my weight has something to do with it, he was like, it it was beyond, he couldn't believe that. He couldn't even accept that. He couldn't even, it was just unfathomable to him that there was anything besides Nishama. He didn't see uh, the physical.
0: world. Yeah. <laughs> you you actually you write through them. You actually call one of the parts of the book "soul searcher," and that that says it all. I mean, he's searching for someone's soul, yeah. and that's all he cares about. You write on page seventy nine, reflecting on the amazing series of events that took place from the time that Rabbi Schuster first tapped him on the shoulder. Jeff took to referring to Rob Mayer as the Willie Mays of the Kotel. Just as the great center fielder Mays knew how to play each ball as it caromed off the center field wall, so Mayer knew how to play young Jews as they backed away from the coat Now, number one, I have to read this on the air because, you know, if I have a chance to work Willie Mays... It's yeah, a, that's what,
1: You're dating us, I mean, You know, you remember Willie Mays. I course. remember Willie Mays. Most of the people out there well, have have said Mike Trout. I mean, who, my, who knows my, Willie tr- Mays?
0: Trust right? me. Trust me. My 16-year-old asks me if Mays was as great as they say he was. So Even the teenagers know who he is. But my point is that... You know, I mean, I'm assuming, and, you know, when I was a kid, we always were told the routine was do you have a place, you know, for Friday night? Do you have a place to eat a Shabbos meal? Yes. I didn't realize he was approaching people constantly and asking, you know, want to learn in yeshiva. You know, the Shabbos meal story was always mu- mu- much cooler than they do want to learn in yeshiva story. But, but every. What, you want to
1: find out something about God? Do you want? Are you interested in your religion? Would you like to talk to a wise man? I mean, every day he was down there by the Nate's Minion. Uh, most mornings frequently diving in the coat on my mate's minion
0: and uh yeah. And, and your point being with those quotes, your point being that for every individual he he sensed a different approach, right? He sensed that this is the way to get to this Nishama with this question and with this type of mm, no? no? I
1: wouldn't so, say that. So what's the I so what's the it. Willie May I mean, So he he what's
0: did, the what's the Willie Mays, what's the Willie May's reference then? That he knew what you know, about each individual, you know, person on the wall?
1: Well, it, it, okay. The central theme of the book, and the central theme that I would say, what do we learn from Reb is the power of Seattle Right. So he definitely had a a, a cook of Seattle Deschmeyer. I mean, they say that LeBron James remembers every play in every game he's ever played. There's uh, some memory there. There was something intuitive about him that he knew. I mean, first of all, and deciding where to take somebody to yeshiva, or how far to get them. Uh, uh, sometimes that was just that uh, Asia Torah was right down there, so right. it was easier to get there. Noach was usually available to talk to the people who were off the wall. And, you know, he would take people back and forth, and he wasn't abashed. If somebody said he didn't like this place, I have a, a section in the book where I take two people who are pretty... One is a, a, a really distinguished Talmud Chacham today, mm-hmm. and one is a is a well known author. One he brought to Orzamech, and he, didn't, he said, "What am I learning? Shemachos in the uh Two are holding a talus, but I don't know. If, I have no idea if I'm interested in this religion at all." So, so then he took him to Aish. Okay, now so I now I got, got it. He now said, I got sounded it sounded like my college dorm room bull sessions, and I and, and he wanted to hear Gemara. Right.
0: No, now I got it. So he had a, he, he sensed a different approach depending on what the needs were of that specific person. He would guide them in the right, right he way. He never
1: gave up, though. Right. That's the thing. Is he never gave up. You know, if somebody he would follow you to a kibbutz, you could push him away. He, he would. You could not. He could not. There was no busha, There was right. no embarrassment. There was nothing that uh, there was nothing that he would not do. I remember this on the open. The first time I met him. We're out there lying on the grass, a young 20 year olds, uh, 20 somethings, lying on the grass, uh, who knows what. Uh, and he comes up and getting in our sun, you know. We got irritated, you know. You're standing, how am I going to catch, soak up my rays here? And, you know, and people say nasty things to him. It just didn't affect him. It didn't affect him. And he walked away with one young man that day who went to yeshiva and 20 years later was the. Uh, the of, uh, Rav of, Sh- uh, I think, of Shlomo Moshe Moshab Modein. In other words, he,
2: he,
1: he, he had no ego. That, that's the key. He had no ego. And as one of my friends said, if you have no ego, the Hashkacha, the divine providence can shine through you. Yeah. And no one ever looked at Mayor Schuster and didn't say that the Seatr the the unfathomable divine help that he gets, is. But you have to believe in it. You have to believe in that help. You have to know it's not about you. It's not because you're so great. You couldn't get the word I out of him. One philanthropist who gave him hundreds of thousands of dollars to purchase the girls' hostel for, uh, uh, in, in, in the old city of Yerushalayim, which was a crucial, crucial breakthrough in the whole Chuva movement in, the, in 1984, said the thing I loved most about him is I could never get him to say, I did this. The phrase, I made somebody from" him, never would have come out of his lips. Never. Couldn't it have happened.
0: Wow. Jonas and Rosenblum was with us. The book is called A Tap on the Shoulder of a Mayor Schuster in a Magical Era of Chuva. You reminded me, uh, I mean, unfortunately, but it's such an amazing account of, uh, of his reaction. Uh, you reminded us in the book that uh, he and his wife lost their daughter when she was hit by a car at six years old, he he sits Shiva, and as he's going through this tremendous grief and mourning, and who can even imagine the type of grief and mourning that he and his wife were going through, he's asking... Their oldest child. Right, their oldest child. He's asking himself, um, should I be at the kotel now? There are souls that now during this week need to be guided in the right direction, and there's no one there to do it. Should I be at the kotel now? And thought seriously about... Um, uh, about leaving the shiva house to go to to go back to work, so to speak, and he and he he, a, he asked a serious Shiloh of a serious postake, um, you know, a, 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 during that difficult period. I think that says a lot about him. Well,
1: <laughs> but I I'd only want to correct one thing. He didn't say should I be. It was push it to him, and he was there on, on Laos Shabbos. I I believe he was there on Leo Shabbos that Friday night. right? Yeah, that Friday night. But he didn't ask, "Should I?" It was it was so clear to him that this was a case of saving souls. This was a, a life. This was a matter of life and death that he should be there. And the the, Shiloh, the question was brought to Rav Eliashev, the the foremost decisor of that era, uh, and, and and he 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 agreed with the the, the calculation. He agreed that it was pikuach nefesh, it was life-saving work. And, but he said nobody will understand it, including among those who didn't understand it was his own wife, who found it very painful. And his, it, she told me, she said, I just couldn't understand it. And even when Rabbi Eliashev himself did something almost unprecedented, because he very rarely left his neighborhood in May Sharim, came to make a shiva call to... To the Schusters, she said, "Even then, it was it was hard for you to deal with it. You couldn't give a week for your for your oldest daughter. This was a girl, six years old, who. The one couple I met told me on their way back from a summer in Ezra, in the, the the neighborhood in which the Schusters lived on the plane with her husband. All they talked about for the whole flight was a six year old girl. She was so, uh-huh. she was so charming. She was so." full of life. Everybody knew her. And his wife thought, you can't even give a week. But his sense of mission was so overwhelming. And he was besotted with this uh, girl, and her name was Shotzi, which is is a swish nickname that one of the neighbors gave her. That's what they called her, Shotzi. And, um, yeah, that's that's the story that... Captures really everything about her.
0: There. you could say that again. Why? And again, you've seen the scene at the Kotel in that era from both sides, essentially, uh, or from many, really many aspects. Why were there not more people doing this type of thing, or were there plenty of people who were schlepping people off the wall and and asking random people if they want to, you know, spend Shabbos here or there? Uh, but he, but because of his unique style, his background, his consistency, the amount, the number of uh, the amount of time, and the number of people he reached, you know, he ends up being again, you know, the king of all this. Was there a big effort at that time in general in Jerusalem, or was he an exclusive?
1: There were others. I mean, we used to get a lot of guests from somebody who flashed like a bright light, and definitely had charisma. It was a single, single young man, not married. Uh, could talk a mile a minute, uh, had a lot of charm, and he flashed bright on the scene for a, a period, a couple years maybe, uh, and then burnt out. There's somebody else with whom Lab Schuster did work named Jeff Seidel, right. who's famous for his saddle shoes, right. and can still probably be found at the coat on, mm-hmm. <laughs> on, on a Friday night. And they worked together. They would, at some point when they, the load became so large. There were hundreds of people going for Shabbos uh, uh, meals. That the, they would split it up and they would split out the allocation of people. They worked together for a, a, a fair amount of time. There's a picture of them together right. in the book. Yeah,
0: sure. So
1: Jeff has been at it for a long time.
0: Right, that's true. And there was somebody named Mordecai Edelman who right. maybe worked for uh, maybe worked for
1: Ace, I'm not sure if he was. A... There were others. There were others. But he was the Even legend. Idea of Heritage House. Uh, Hillel Goldberg has a 1984 article in Jewish Observer where he, I think he may even use it, soul seekers, he calls it. But he interviews a number of, a number of others, and, uh, and the idea of, of a hostel uh, was an idea that, that a number of people mentioned to, to Hillel Goldberg at the time. The difference was that Rameyar made it happen. Rameyar right. found the funders. He you found the, know, the. You know, the it's fu- and
0: and and I love your description in the book of why he thought it was necessary, especially as Arab and other type of hostels were sprouting up in the area, and he felt it was you know appro- right. not not only appropriate but necessary. Uh, and, and I always wonder about that. You know, the the, the look, we know the style <laughs> that 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 he implemented in order to get people off the wall. We we get that. Uh, And I always wonder when things become official and when, when an organization needs to be founded and heritage house has to be established, you know, I, I wonder if the, you know, of a, of a certain, you know, pioneering, uh, um, aspect to the whole thing, uh, you know, is lost. Uh, because now, you know, you're an official organization. Now you have an address. You know, it used to be that we were just, you know, operating on the wall. And now we have an actual place where we have to take care of people. Uh, I mean,
1: I... Yeah, I, but and here the the house here was a qualitative change. It was a leap. Uh, because he always felt there were a lot of people who had to come in. They needed an intermediate step. Right. And I have some testimony there from... Uh, I mean, Seth Damsky, right. who's a hush in uh, in, uh, in Passaic today. He was a Harvard student at the time and spent a little time there. He, he, you know, he said, if I wouldn't have had an intermediate step, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have eventually come into Torah." I wouldn't, have, you know, they needed, they needed that step. So it was, it, there's a myth that Reb Mayer did nothing besides tap people on the shoulder, right. uh, shoulder. That's not true. And he, he had a keen, he did have a sense of what, of what he was doing, what he was about. Uh, you see a different side of him. There's, uh, at, at some point in the book, I bring four letters that he wrote to a right. student who had gone back to America. Yeah, he spent a lot of see, time these being... are not These are not matter-of-fact letters. These mm-hmm. are they're a Megillah. Mm-hmm. He goes into depths. He talks something about the Parsh. He, he knew the person was unhappy in America and connected in New York. He, he, they were real personal letters. They took time, and he would write hundreds of them. Uh, I think he chased my one of my sister-in-laws to the kibbutz that she was at, <laughs> and, you know, he just had her address. All he needed was your address, and people would come back to their hospital, and they'd say, Are you Debbie? And she'd say, Yes, and Debbie. Well, the rabbi's been calling you. He's been The rabbi calls every five minutes. Is Debbie back yet? Is Debbie back yet? He was absolutely relentless. I mean, a good friend of mine. You know, when it was, he bought a ticket for Engedi Angeri, because he looked around for yeshiva. He had gotten out of the army. He had been in the Aleutian Islands as the only Jew and three thousand sailors in the Aleutian Islands off of Alaska. He came to Yerushalayim. He went to look for a yeshiva, and he couldn't find one. So he said, "Okay, Hashem, if you," I looked around your city. I didn't find what I was looking for, and he got on the bus to. He was on the, about to get on the bus to Angeri, and and. Uh, Rob Schuster tapped him on the shoulder, and he realized, but he still got on the bus, and then he thought to himself, what a fool. I asked Hashem to help me one more time, and he did. He sent this guy, and he looked at Rob Meir as he was getting on the bus, looking through the window, he said, but he didn't have to worry because Ramirez got his address and he wrote to him and the kibbutz he was staying on. And he's, he's now the father of 12 kids. Actually, his <laughs> oldest daughter has 12 kids. I mean, you know, these stories
0: just multiply and multiply. Unbelievable. I, I, and finally, and I, I, I could do this for hours with you, frankly. <laughs> um, uh, but, but at some point, i got to wrap it up. But if, uh, finally, you debunk the myth that I frankly grew up with. That if one would buy a watch for a mayor Schuster, it would be the end of all his efforts at the (laughs) Koto. Because because the rumor was when I was a kid that the way he opened up a conversation because of his shyness, etc., was to ask people if they have the time. He did, but he was still wearing a watch. (laughs) So he had a watch, but nonetheless used it as an opening line. I love it. Yeah. I'll tell you, there's a strategy to reach everybody, I guess, and he knew it. He knew that he could reach yeah. every soul. Pretty amazing, I'll tell well, you. Well, he knew
1: that every soul was was reachable. If you look at my column this, in Mishpachah this week, you'll see we just underestimate the power of a Jewish soul. I mean, let's face it. I'm sure out of every ten people that he he spoke to, probably eight told him to buzz off. Out of right. every two that came right. to a yeshiva seminary, uh, Many of them didn't stay past right. uh, a day or two at the most. Yeah, he had to deal but with a the lot of numbers re- mount up. Right, did, I mean, we're talking about tens of thousands of people who upended their lives, right? As, their whole as any
0: good salesman knows, he probably went through a tremendous amount of rejection and had to deal with it.
1: Tremendous, and he didn't. That never got him down. I don't think. I think he never was down. Amazing. In other words, he, he he collected money as a fundraiser. He would take every eighteen dollar check. He was indefatigable. You know, he just the, the he would go to a door. He'd go to somebody a hundred times, having the receiver slammed on him didn't put him off either. You couldn't insult him. You couldn't push him away. You couldn't get rid of him.
0: Unbelievable! Unbelievable. Yeah. How how long has he gone?
1: Uh, seven years. But before that. It was, um,
0: a difficult illness, it was a very right?
1: difficult period of yeah. four years. He had a disease, which is a combination of Lou Gehrig's and Alzheimer's. I mean, it's got its own names, Louis <sighs> body disease, but it's, uh, it's just a horrendous, horrendous disease. And, uh, and you know, he was, still, he was still trying to push through it. He took two trips to America, fundraising trips, which I described there, yeah. at a time when he should definitely not have been out of the house um and he, in those times he did have a shadow with him, and people didn't exactly understand uh you know what was going on and he still he just didn't want to give up and uh, it's, that that's a, that is a sad that's a sad part of his life so his effective work he probably ended in around two thousand and seven two thousand and eight
0: Jonas and Rosenblum, the book is a tap on the shoulder, Rabbi Mayer Schuster and a Magical Era of Tshuva. I cannot recommend this book highly enough, everybody. Remember, artscroll.com is the website. Order the book. uh, Major discount plus free shipping if you use promo code radio. That's the rule always at artscroll.com. Always use promo code radio. Simple as that. Um, Jonas and Rosenblum, we got to have you on more often. Uh, okay. we, we got. I mean, there is. I can only imagine someone of your background, your intellect, and now all this experience of living in Israel. I can only imagine how you view so many of the things that go on today, especially in our beloved state of Israel. Uh, did you survive the? Did you survive the most recent coalition? You've survived so far. The most recent. Well, so co- far, we're
1: doing okay. We're doing, doing okay. <laughs> you don't but, feel. You uh, don't feel. Wait a second. You don't, you, some...
0: you don't feel the world's coming to an end. You sure? <laughs>
1: no, no, I'm actually I'm much more optimistic about Israel than I am about America. Yeah. I and mean, you'll see this in my writing. I started writing again in the Ted just because I had so much I wanted to get off my chest that one column a week wasn't enough. I, I mean, I went back to Yet, Ted. I've written there for many years. Right. Uh, but uh, there's so much th- that has to be said. Uh, you know, I think ultimately the future is. Is here the future of the Jewish people? Is
0: here. That's what we always and say. The future, future of the Jewish yeah. people is in the state of Israel. What city are you from in America?
1: Chicago.
0: Chicago, Illinois. Wow. Yeah, you know what's going on. Yeah. In, you following what's going on in Chicago these days? You mean the mayor? Yeah, the, the Lightfoot. Yeah the the mayor Lightfoot. the mayor and the wanton murder of people, including a Jewish girl who was stabbed. This was stabbed and murdered this week in Chicago. I oh,
1: know
0: that. I didn't hear about it. Just well, a, uh, Rogers Park. Well, I don't know what neighborhood it was in, and the girl was from uh, wow. somewhere on the seaboard, meaning uh, somewhere from Maryland, I believe. But um, it's a, it's just, I mean, what's going on in general? Uh, not even speaking at the moment about the Jewish community, just in general, the way the city is imploding.
1: As yesterday, what we need is the the, the answer to this violence is stricter gun control laws. I mean, Chicago has the strictest gun control laws in in the in the country, practically. And you, and yet you could still get, uh, an. App, you can have where 15 people being shot to death over uh, a weekend is not, not rare. And I went, I went to school on the South Side of Chicago with the University of Chicago, which is in a ghetto.
0: Oh, so you're a White Sox fan? <laughs> I,
1: nope, actually not.
0: <laughs> you're a you're a Southsider, and you're not a White Sox fan.
1: Well, that's true. But I grew up in a northern suburb, yeah. and the truth is. For the first time in my life, I'm trying to see. Maybe he would help bring the Kahulah. This is I'm learning the base, uh, uh, the base of Levi and Shalom. I said. You know, it wouldn't hurt me to follow the White Sox, too. They've
0: got a great team this year, too. I can follow them both. Well, the two people I discussed the White Sox with and the Cubs with on the air are you and Barrel and Rabbi Barrel Wide. so you're in good company. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I well, thank he's a you. I don't even know who they wrote for. Yeah, I, I think he told me. I mean, he was happy with the Cubs won. but earlier than that, I think he did tell me that that he was pretty happy and shocked to hear that the White Sox had won one as well, so, yeah. <laughs> so he may one have.
1: the Cubs. Being a lifelong Cubs fan was until 2016 was really a metaphor for waiting for Messiah. Yeah, and you know it gave us a lot of hope. If the Cubs, if you know, they say most teams can have a bad year, some have but the Cubs are the only team that had a bad century.
0: <laughs> it's amazing. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Much appreciated. Yeah. Look forward to speaking to you again. It's Nice to be with you, Yonas and Rosenblum. You know the book, everybody. It's called Tap on the Shoulder. More coming up. You are listening to a Thursday morning broadcast at JM in the AM.
3: Western lawn on Friday night. His first time ever there. Strapped into his knapsack with his long and curly hair. He stood there for a while. Then broke out with a smile.
0: motion overwhelming jaw. The men were dancing there, the heart so
3: full of love. They sang such happy tunes to thank the one above. For showing them the way, for giving them a day.
0: To rest, rejoice, with peace of mind
3: to pray.
0: Just For those of you who don't know, that song was inspired by the life and work of our Mayer Schuster. And if you pay careful attention to the lyrics, I guess that's obvious. The classic Just One Shabbos from many, many years ago, but inspired by Rav Mayer Schuster of blessed memory. My thanks to Jonas and Rosenblum. What a book. Go to artsworld.com. Use promo code radio. Order the book. A tap on the shoulder. It's pretty amazing. <laughs> That was my conversation with Jonas Son Rosenblum, Deputy Mayor of Jerusalem. Fleur Hassan-Nahum was with us recently about her solidarity mission from Israel to the New York, New Jersey area. Here's my conversation with the Deputy Mayor on JM Rewind here at the Nahum Siegel Network. Well, many of you are uh, aware of the fact uh, that Fleur Hassan-Nahum, who uh, joined us a couple of weeks ago on the air, uh, said to us publicly on, in this forum uh, that there is an effort to actually do a solidarity mission to America. And I told her on the air and said to all of you how brilliant the concept. We know what solidarity missions are in the reverse. We know what solidarity missions are when Israel's in quote-unquote trouble and we go and pay a visit. Well, she sensed, as did other responsible Israeli and Jewish leaders, that there's a tense situation here in the U.S. Anti-Semitism, we see what the attitude was toward Israel during the most recent a war with uh, with Hamas, and the Fleur said we're going to do a a solidarity mission to the United States. And guess what? She's here right now. She's serving, of course, as you know, as deputy mayor of Jerusalem, in charge of foreign relations, international economic development, and tourism. Uh, but this week, she is a representative of real Jewish leadership on this solidarity mission to the United States. Fleur, a pleasure and honor to welcome you back to JM in the AM.
2: Thank you, Nahum. It's always wonderful being here.
0: I mean, you pulled it off. You had this amazing concept, and you're actually here. How incredible is that?
2: It really is incredible, and I have to thank uh, Gesher, which is an incredible organization ah, in Israel yes. that connects between uh, religious Jews and secular Jews, and also between Israel and the diaspora. And uh, we both had this crazy idea, and we and we got it off the ground. So I'm thrilled that we're here. We came with uh, Chaim Bibas, who is the mayor of Modi'in and the head of the Local Authorities Federation. So he's kind of like the mayor of mayors. Um, Today we're joined by Mikhail Bitar, who's a member of Knesset. And we're literally here to listen and to show our solidarity. That's what we're doing here. Uh,
0: You know the two things that we need. I've discussed this with you both on and off the air. One of them I think you could be a tremendous help with. I mean, we need our, our public officials, our government officials to be louder uh, when it comes to the, uh, to the uh, uh, epidemic of hate that's now going on in this country, in particular, of course, the anti-Semitism that we're so concerned about. But in addition to that, we need Jewish leadership in this country to have the guts to also speak more loudly and to get out there and describe the outrage uh, that Jews are being treated the way they are in this country. Uh, I think with the second one, you could be very effective. Have your meetings with Jewish leaders in this country been fruitful?
2: Absolutely. Look, ultimately, Nahum, like I said, we're here to listen and to to help people find solutions. I can't put myself in, in, in the shoes of the local leadership, but I certainly can offer help, support, um, and any type of strength they need in this in this situation at the moment, I've heard a range. The truth is, I've heard a range of opinions. People who are very worried, people who are saying, you know, it was something that happened, the flare-up of the conflict, right. and Corona. And so, I think there's a range, especially in New York. New York is a, is a place where you walk around, and you see, you know, Jews looking like Jews. It's not uh, it's not the middle of nowhere where you barely see uh, a visible Jew. Um, and so, you know, we have a dichotomy here. The visible Jews are the ones getting attacked. Um, and on the other hand, people are still very comfortable to walk around. So we're definitely hearing a range of opinions. But I think the most overwhelming feeling is uh, gratitude um, that we're here. Uh, in the reverse, a solidarity, That it's, it's not something that the community here is used to. And I think it's about time that Israeli leadership uh, started to do this and started to give solutions, we're incredible at coming up uh, with solutions to the worst challenges. That's what Israel does. That's, that's our very being. And so this is our time to reach out to our brothers and sisters in the diaspora and say, what do you need? How can we help? And that is the really the, the, the spirit of our mission. And of course, I ask the difficult questions as well, but ultimately we're here to listen and help.
0: You know, it's funny. I think just the fact that you're here and you've expressed that there needs to be a solidarity mission has woken up some of the people who do have leadership positions in this country in the Jewish community and they've said to themselves, "Wow, if it's important if this cause is important enough for people to travel now during corona especially from Israel to the US, then then we need to be paying more attention to all this." So there's really a ripple effect to what you've done and it's much appreciated by the way are you doing obviously you're doing a lot of private meetings and get-togethers and understandably so are you going to do any type of public presentation or it's going to remain uh you know more of the former of for this trip
2: well no, it's going to remain sort of private meetings i'm doing some press of course um i was invited to a few incredible communities for shabbat but the truth is um you know, my best friend lives in Great Neck, so I'm just going to go and with her. Nice. Because <laughs> I haven't seen her in a while.
0: I know the Great Neck community pretty well. They're going to be thrilled to meet you and find out why you're here, frankly.
2: Uh, well, I will be going to shul and telling them, that's for sure.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a lot of involved communities that are very concerned about the situation. Great Neck is one of those communities that has a tremendous um, um, uh, effort going on to increase Aliyah and to look into the prospects of moving to Israel. I'm not accusing you of coming here and telling people that the future (laughs) of the Jewish people is in the state of Israel. I know you're in a a sensitive situation, but I can only imagine that that's always in the backdrop when you have these conversations.
2: Well, exactly, Nahumar. I'm not here to recruit people uh, for the Jewish agency (laughs) or for Nefesh Benefesh, but um, look, definitely what we've seen, talking to my colleagues in the Jewish agency and Nefesh Benefesh, is that there is an increase of people applying for Aliyah, and I think that came actually with the corona, rather than what's going on here. Of course, everything is bolstering those numbers. Um, And so in Israel as well, we have to be prepared to help communities abroad, but we also have to be prepared to absorb in the most efficient way the Jews that do decide to make Aliyah.
0: No question about it. Look, I, I can't thank you and those who've traveled with you enough. This was a wonderful concept. You've pulled it off, and it's so important that all of us understand why instead of Israel turning to the U.S., as has been the case for decades, financially, politically, and for so many reasons, there is now a necessity for the United States jury to turn to Israel, and you have actually taken that concept and you've brought it to life with your mission here, and we can't thank you enough for it.
2: Thank you, Nahum. Always great being on the show.
0: I appreciate that. Looking forward to seeing you in Jerusalem, if they eventually let us in. <laughs> Uh, that, that that deadline continues to be moved. Uh, Fleur Hassan Nahum, who is Deputy Mayor of Yerushalayim and has been an unbelievable force. You may recall we first met her in the UAE who was a major part of our show. Um, and uh, a, a, a major force now in this whole concept, this whole idea of uh, getting people in leadership positions in Israel to come and pay um, solidarity and feelings and uh, and messages of solidarity with people here in the United States. Thank you. Thank you to Fleur. Pretty amazing. That was my conversation with Fleur Hassan Nahum, Deputy Mayor of Jerusalem. Mark Rosenberg is up next from Nefesh Benefesh with an NBN update. Mark Rosenberg, my guest on JM Rewind here at the Nahum Siegel Network. We promised you a Nefesh Benefesh update. The man who's giving the update is Mark Rosenberg, Director of the pre Aliad Department for Nefesh Benefesh. Mark Rosenberg, an honor to welcome you back to JM in the AM. Good morning from sunny Yerushalayim. How are you doing, Achim? 81 in sunny Yerushalayim. Not bad, huh? Not bad at all. It is uh, it is warm, reminding us that we live in the
3: in such uh, a meat bar, but it's uh, it's really wonderful. You
0: You live in a land flowing with milk and honey, Mr. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Rosenberg.
3: Amazing times we live in. Amazing, amazing times. That's an understatement.
0: I am not living in a land flowing with milk and honey. I'm trying to decipher on this day after the Democratic primary in New York City what city I do live in, but I can tell you it's not flowing with milk and honey. That is an understatement. Information about everything we're going to be discussing, you can go to the Nefesh Benefesh website, nbn.org.il, nbn.org.il. You know, it's funny, uh, this time of year, final couple of weeks of June, uh you and your staff, you're planning a you know, always an interesting summer. Every summer is interesting when it comes to But Benefish. It's always the uh most accelerated and most um uh the, the heaviest part of the year in terms of Aliyah numbers from North America. Uh and, and I'm sure that still in the month of June right now, your staff is doing much of the same, anticipating a great summer ahead. Are are there major differences? Between a typical June and what's going on now, or you're feeling like things are back to normal from your vantage point? Oh, I think they, people
3: call it the new normal now. So you're right that the June, July, it's, it's a heavy time for people who are completing the applications and packing their bags. It is... It is a crunch time for the people who are going through that process and worried worried about those details, and our staff who is just making sure that they they can anticipate all of the variables that are coming. But it, we are we are talking with unprecedented numbers of people, so we're we're, we're just struggling um, to make sure that we we have all those t's crossed and all those i's dotted. We're talking about four thousand applications for Aliyah have just been opened since January first of this year. Now, um, some of those people are coming. You know, it's still six months from now, not this summer, but a majority, about 50% of it will come in June, July, and August. So right. we're, 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 our eyes are towards the summer and all those details to make sure it's going to be as smooth as possible, especially that there are so many variables happening, which makes this summer so very unique.
0: We're working on the assumption that there's no charter flight this summer. You know, the big celebratory full Nefesh Benefesh plane, many people are familiar with it, especially in this audience, because we actually broadcast from one or more of them each summer. Um, but other than that, um, w- will there be plenty of group flights and plenty of opportunities for, uh, I don't know, 50, 100 people at a time to make Aliyah from North America? Mm-hmm. Yes,
3: indeed. We have seats. It's not a worry that we don't have enough seats this summer. We have 40 specific group flights, as you mentioned, anywhere between 450 to about 100, and I think 10 is the, the most we have on one specific flight. And there are people who choose to, choose to come on a random day where they might be the only people on the plane. We have lots and lots of seats. Um, it's just sometimes a little bit easier to have that feeling when you, when you look to your left. I just know someone who arrived just last week on a United flight, and they acknowledge that on the plane there were 12 people making aliyah. So well, it is even not just on the LL, not just on the United. People are arriving, and we're doing like, our utmost to make sure that everything is really um, set in order.
0: You know, it's interesting, Mark, and, and one of the reasons you're on this morning is aside from these incredible numbers and all the wonderful news that we get to share with everyone, plus, of course, we're hoping that that news will... Um, will uh, make people react by going to your website, nbn.org.il, and opening up their own Aliyah application. What's interesting is that I'm looking at uh, a bunch of events that are coming up. They're all virtual, of course. People could log on and participate on a whole variety of topics. Uh, there's one on how Camp NBN helps your children's Aliyah. There's one about your children's allergies and Aliyah. Those are coming up. There's one on healthcare in Israel. Uh, and, and there are a whole bunch of others. What's interesting, though, is that you have already uh, curated—not you, but meaning the organization—has curated what seems to me to be hundreds of videos of different seminars, speeches, and introductions, presentations that have already been given. And now all of these are available for people to watch. So if they're looking for a specific community or an introduction to banking in Israel or something having to do with cybersecurity or the tech industry or rights and benefits— uh marketing jobs empty nesters if you have specific concerns and and a whole bunch of other um, uh, niches that are addressed all those videos are there and you know obviously they'll be there forever i know stuff changes but i'd have to assume that these are great resources for people right now
3: oh it's an incredible change for us i think the, the, the buzzword that i'm told about is is binging is no longer do people watch live television or just one episode they 'll watch like six or seven you know in one evening just right. to catch up. So we realize that people are digesting information differently, so we 're trying to you know categorize our information so someone wants to sit down for a good hour and just really you know lean into this information so we, we 've we've, we've changed that format so that people can have it we 're always making sure that it 's up to date and relevant because there are changes not just on the health right. and entrance into Israel. Right. But we want to make sure that it's, a, it's, it's, it's how people are digesting that information in the comfort of their own home. Um, it's amazing with all of our virtual programs over the past year that we have we have actually been in 9,000 North Americans' homes um, for with people studying, experiencing, and talking about Aliyah information. So we wanted to present it in a format so more and more people can enjoyed this opportunity.
0: And as you know, and I've been stressing this for a couple of other organizations that we work with, uh, as you know, the summer months are an opportunity to uh, relax a little, to find a little bit of extra time. If that's the case, it might be the perfect opportunity for people to peruse these videos and start uh, studying up on their own Aliyah. All we're trying to do, folks, I'm not being very subtle about this, all we're trying to do is get people to focus on the fact that that it might be better for your family in Israel than it is in North America. And if, in fact, it is, Nefesh of Nefesh wants to help you make it happen. Mark Rosenberg is with us live via telephone. Yes, you wanted to add something to that, Mark?
3: No, I was going to say, it doesn't matter whether you're in Memphis or, or if you're down in Florida or, you know, in Toronto this summer. Um, it is really the the building blocks of the plan um, really come with taking that that, that attention to detail, detail. I may have said this uh, to you before, but it's it, it, it's important to understand that making Aliyah isn't about the ideology alone. I mean, all of our families and friends and people that are sending messages, not just in stressful times in Israel, but now they feel this identity and obviously an affinity for Eretz Israel and the state of Israel. But there's the details that are involved, and I think that is really the. The, the the value added that our staff really puts into that that careful attention. So if you have a specific uh question, it's it contact us. We'll we'll sit down for those conversations. Um or just, you know, listen and like you said, you know, take advantage of these online programs or the our YouTube channel. it's it, it's never been easier to uh to make Aliyah. It's still hard. There are still there still are things you need to consider, but it the fact that it is it is more accessible should really give you that extra push um in achieving this uh dreamlike step of becoming an Israeli citizen
0: and I know that I mean you you just mentioned a few areas of the United States that you know uh, people are encouraged to move from but uh, are you still getting Floridians and Texans because I don't know Mark if you know but it seems that Florida and Texas are the most attractive states now in the US are you still getting people from the sunshine state and the lone star state uh, coming to Israel
3: we are definitely getting. Uh, we're definitely getting. I, de, Florida definitely edges it out more. I, I, I'm saying that uh, the the snowbirds and snowflakes are, are are more and more looking to Israel as <laughs> uh, as an equivalent option as well. And I think that's uh, part of the trend. Some of those New York, New Jersey people are uh, maybe uh, splitting their time with Israel as as opposed to just Florida alone. Texas, uh, the numbers are pretty steady, but uh, Florida is definitely. Uh, I, I don't even I the way this hotspot might not be appropriate anymore.
0: <laughs> That's actually funny. Uh uh the the virtual webinars. Okay, so everybody go to nbn.org, nbn.org.il, nbn.org.il slash virtual dash events dash calendar. That's a direct way to find it. Now I may be putting you on the spot because I don't know if you're what you're familiar with in terms of uh, you know what happens behind the scenes. Not, not. God forbid to insult you. I just don't know, and I don't want you to be uncomfortable with the question. But there is a virtual cafe Olé. Are you familiar with this? That every Monday, uh, eight p.m. Myself. is myself. I have been myself. Say it again. I have I have attended in person. Oh, you've actually been there. You've been part of this.
3: So yeah, th- uh, is- it's a great it's a great opportunity to just you know practice your accent and and re- rediscover how to pronounce those words the way that Israelis pronounce it so that they can better understand us. It's been my experience. It's Wait a, a it's second. It's a great inter, in, in, actual in, interchange of language uh, with Olim to meet each other.
0: But, oh, so this is not even meant for people who live outside of Israel. This is meant for people who have made Aliyah already. Yep, yep. We get some people who are
3: still on trial experience in Israel coming because it is a great opportunity to meet other people, but it is it is there to give that extra boost. Sometimes I tell people it was shocking me to discover the name of the airport isn't Ben-Gurion Airport. It's Ben-Gurion. <laughs> yes. it's how the, that's how Israelis pronounce
0: it. Yeah, and, and we here at JMN, we've also pronounced it that way. <laughs> yeah, the, the, Oh, so that's really cool. People can register for that uh, on the site as well. It's called Virtual Cafe that It's like a Zoom-type format? Like a, yes,
3: I mean we used to be in person, but now we are doing the best we can. People people are thirsty, so these type of outlets, um, they're not as great
0: as in person, but they're pretty good. Very interesting. All right. 8664 alia is the number. 866 the number four. And then A-L-I-Y-A-H. The website is nbn.org.il. Nefesh Benefesh is getting ready for an unbelievable summer. I know, I know, everyone felt that COVID is going to stop the world and it'll stop Aliyah and, of course, exactly the opposite has happened. By the way, keep in mind also I want to mention that Nefesh Benefesh has special sessions and a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week hotline for lone soldiers and parents of lone soldiers. And, And, Mark, I don't know if you know details on this, but I have to assume that that hotline has been very helpful
3: it It's it, it, undoubtedly I think there's i I thought you were to talking about our other number where it's twenty four six um when you call neveshmenevich but this this Highline is there it's supposed to be and and it's just for for the hyleen to know that you know they yeah. might get off of their their guard duty at a different time and just have a very mundane question that's been hanging over them, and sometimes something that's heavier that they can us, and also just the parents with the time difference to be able to get that response and it's really it's an honor and privilege to be there supporting the people. That are there to support and defend us, and it is, and, it is really remarkable.
0: And frankly, I, I would think there's some urgent and emergency situations where, rightfully or not, people in that situation would feel that nefesh Benefesh is the first call they should make. So you know,
3: absolutely. I mean, it's it's the parent can't always get there right. at the moment to be there, and so the fact that you have a messenger, you have a representative that that, that is local, parentus to be able to be there is. Uh, is a huge comfort and uh, we take it with the, with that, that responsibility very seriously. Yeah, we'll it's
0: cool. amazing what you guys are doing. Mark Rosenberg, director of the pre Aliyah Department for Nevis Benevish. Anything you'd like to add as we get set for the official kick off kick off of summer, Mr. Rosenberg.
3: I was so one small thing to add. But you mentioned that we are not having our traditional summer uh, arrival right. of uh, two hundred and fifty people making Aliyah. Right. And we have um, we're gonna have smaller celebrations but we're talking about an unprecedented summer we're talking about a, 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 almost uh, a, a, a thousand people arriving just in the month of August um, and uh, i hope that you'll join us and follow us whether it's on instagram or just in our regular social media and help us celebrate these people who are who are with, with a lot of uncertainty in the world who are making this decision to come and that you'll also take this opportunity to contact us about uh, maybe joining us. It's a, it's a very exciting time.
0: Another thousand people who will be doing what Moses himself was never able to do. How do you like that?
3: Remarkable. We, I, as I said, we live in amazing, amazing times, and it's yeah. good to be able to celebrate that. Um, and thank you for celebrating it with us.
0: Always a pleasure. Continued success. Hatzlachar <laughs> Best regards to everybody at Nefesh Ben Nefesh.
3: Always, you should be Balia. Have a great, great, great start to the summer. And also, the best first day of the last day of your fundraising.
0: Oh, thank you very much, Mark.
3: I, I thought that was a great it. phrase. You should only be well.
0: <laughs> the first of the last three days. I thank you for that. Mark Rosenberg, a great friend and wonderful at what he does with NBN. <laughs> That's great. Yes, our fundraiser continues, everybody. If you haven't given yet, it's the it's almost the end of the first of the last three mornings of our fundraiser. <laughs> so give it fjbunity.org. Information about Nefesh Benefesh. You know it at this point. If you're a regular listeners of our, listener of ours, you know it. It's nbn.org.il, nbn.org.il. 8664-ALIAH is a 24-6 hotline, 8664-ALIAH. The Lone Soldier hotline is 24-7, and Nefesh Benefesh always finds a way to fill a need and be there when people are in need, uh, especially in emergency situations and that is a tremendous help I'd have to assume for a lot of families out there. Wednesday morning, JM in the AM That was my conversation with Mark Rosenberg Thanks so much for tuning in JM Rewind every single Tuesday at uh, 9am here at the Malcolm Siegel Network Stay tuned for more great programming here on NSN